Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. In today's episode, I'll be beginning with my favorite stage direction in all of Shakespeare, Exit, Pursued by a Bear. I'll explain after I read the passage why many, including me, think that a real bear would have been used for this moment in Shakespeare's theater. But before I read the passage, I need to tell about the play this stage direction is found in, The Winter's Tale, and before that, explain a little bit about the different kinds of plays that Shakespeare wrote, so that you'll be able to more fully appreciate the scene which follows this stage direction. Shakespeare is remarkable in his success at writing both comedies and tragedies. In a general way, we can think of comedies as funny and tragedies as sad and come pretty close to the mark. When considering Shakespeare's plays, we can be a little more exact. The tragedies end in death, and not just the death of the title character or characters, but lots of deaths. At the end of Hamlet, four bodies litter the stage, and two more deaths offstage are reported to add to the two main characters who have died earlier in the play. Three bodies lie dead at the end of Romeo and Juliet, with the county Paris thrown in with the star-crossed lovers. There are three also at the ends of Othello and Antony and Cleopatra, and the latter doesn't even include Antony, who dies at the end of Act 4. Were an Elizabethan to attend death of a salesman, they would surely ask for their money back with only one death. These tragedies remind us of the inevitability of death. As Gertrude reminds her grieving son Hamlet, all that lives must die. Shakespeare's comedies, by contrast, assure us of the obverse of this same coin, the continuity of life. Shakespeare's comedies are romantic comedies. They end in marriage, and again, not just one marriage. Four marriages conclude as you like it, and three a Midsummer Night's Dream, with the reconciliation of a pair of separated spouses added for good measure. When Twelfth Night arrives at its conclusion, only two marriages are in the offing, and so a third comes out of nowhere to bring the total up to snuff. But death, too, is present in the comedies, not as conclusion, but as background and as threat. Without death, the continuity of life would have little meaning. The trick is to find the right balance. Too little of the dark and you give the audience fluff. Too much and you overwhelm the optimistic conclusion. And the latter problem is what we find at the midpoint of Shakespeare's career. The marriages at the end of his comedies become less and less satisfactory as Shakespeare's pessimism about life increased, until, with all's well that ends well and measure for measure, the concluding marriages are so contrived and so unsatisfactory and the darkness so palpable that Shakespeare gave up comedy altogether and gave himself over completely to the pessimism of tragedy. In the latter part of his career, Shakespeare wrote six tragedies in a row, including Othello, Macbeth, and King Lear. 
Yet, though he never wrote another comedy, he does, before his career closes, overcome his dark pessimism, writing in succession four plays that we've come to call romances, not because they end in marriages like the earlier comedies, but because they ask for an unusual degree of suspension of disbelief. More importantly, the romances don't end in the youthful optimism of marriage or in the pessimism of death. Rather, they overcome the darkness of tragedy through repentance and forgiveness. This transformation at the end of Shakespeare's career can be seen not only in the shift from one group of plays, the tragedies, to another, the romances, but also in a shift that occurs in each of the romances individually. Each one begins as a tragedy and then at some point undergoes a transformation from tragedy to romance. Which brings us back to the winter's tale and its wonderful stage direction, Exit, Pursued by a Bear. The character who exits, Pursued by a Bear, is named Antigonus, and he has just done an awful thing. He has set down a helpless baby girl just inland from a stormy shore, far from anywhere, leaving it to the elements. He's done so on the order of his king, who is the father of the infant, and who believes falsely that the child isn't his, but a bastard. This is the stuff of tragedy. And up until this point, nearing the end of Act 3, the Winter's Tale has been pretty much straightforward tragedy, with a jealous king making irrevocable decisions that can only end in death. But another possibility has already begun to emerge. The king's first order was for Antigonus to throw the infant into the fire, but Antigonus convinces him not to do so, but rather to give the child over to the elements. Who knows? Maybe by some chance, however unlikely, it will live. And so here we are at the turning point. Having set down the infant, Antigonus hopes to return to his ship but is instead pursued by a hungry bear. Actions do have consequences, even in a romance, and Antigonus will not escape. Nor will the sailors who helped in this crime. Their ship will sink in the storm and they will drown. But chance does intervene for the infant. An old shepherd, looking for two lost sheep, comes upon it, even as offstage Antigonus is dying. I'll begin with Antigonus standing up from the infant he's abandoning. Once he's been chased off stage, the old shepherd enters and we hear him musing about the rascally young hunters who have chased off two of his sheep. He comes upon the babe and immediately surmises that it's the product of some sexual misbehavior, probably by some maid with a proper job who can't be found out. At this point, the shepherd's adult son enters and reports seeing sailors drowning and a man being eaten by a bear, the tragic ending of their lives of unwilling collusion with evil. But the babe is new life. The old shepherd sees the fancy baptismal clothing the infant wears and then the box that Antigonus has left beside it in hopes that someone will find the babe. And things begin anew, or will as soon as the dead are buried. 
Let's listen as Antigonus stands up, having set down the babe. From The Winter's Tale by William Shakespeare, Act 3, Scene 3. Antigonus. Farewell, the day frowns more and more. Thou art like to have a lullaby too rough. I never saw the heavens so dim by day. Thunder and sounds of hunting. A savage clamor. Well, may I get aboard. This is the chase. I am gone forever. He exits, pursued by a bear. Enter Shepherd. Shepherd. I would there were no age between ten and twenty-three, or that youth would sleep out the rest, for there is nothing in the between but getting wenches with child, wronging the ancientry, stealing, fighting. Hark you now, would any but these boiled brains of nineteen and twenty-two hunt in this weather? They have scared away two of my best sheep, which I fear the wolf will sooner find than the master. If anywhere I have them, tis by the seaside, browsing on ivy. Good luck, and it be thy will. What have we here? Mercyons, a bairn, a very pretty bairn, a boy or a child, I wonder, a pretty one, a very pretty one. Sure some scape, though I am not bookish, yet I can read waiting gentlewoman in the scape. This has been some stair work, some trunk work some behind-door work. They were warmer that got this than the poor thing is here. I'll take it up for pity. Yet I'll tarry till my son come. He hallowed but even now. Whoa, ho, ho! Enter Shepherd's son. Shepherd's son. Hello, Loa! Shepherd. What? Art so near? If thou'lt see a thing to talk about when thou art dead and rotten, come hither. What ails thou, man? Shepherd's son, I have seen two such sights, by sea and by land, but I am not to say if it is sea, for it is now the sky. Betwixt the firmament and it, you cannot thrust a bodkin's point. Shepherd, why, boy, how is it? Shepherd's son, I would you but did see how the sea chafes, how it rages, how it takes up the shore. But that's not to the point. Oh, the most piteous cry of the poor souls, sometimes to see him and not to see him. Now the ship boring the moon with her main mast, and anon swallowed with yeast and froth, as you'd thrust a cork into a hogshead. And then for the land service, to see how the bear tore out his shoulder bone, how he cried to me for help and said his name was Antigonus, a nobleman but to make an end of the ship, to see how the sea-flap dragoned it, but first how the poor souls roared and the sea mocked them, and how the poor gentleman roared and the bear mocked him, both roaring louder than the sea or weather. Shepherd. Name of mercy, when was this, boy? Shepherd's son. Now, now, I have not blinked since I saw these sights. The men were not yet cold under water, nor the bear half-dined on the gentleman. He's at it now. Shepherd, would I had been by to have helped the old man. Shepherd's son, I would you had been by the ship's side to have helped her. There your charity would have lacked footing. Shepherd, 
heavy matters, heavy matters. But look thee here, boy, now bless thyself. Thou met'st with things dying, I with things newborn. Here's a sight for thee, look thee, a bearing cloth for a squire's child. He spies the box. Look thee here, take up, take up, boy, open it. So, let's see, it was told me I should be rich by the fairies. This is some changeling. Open it. What's within, boy? Shepherd's son, opening the box. You're a made old man. If the sins of your youth are forgiven you, you're well to live. Gold, all gold. Shepherd, this is fairy gold, boy, and to approve so. Up with it, keep it close. Home, home the next way. We are lucky, boy, and to be so still requires nothing but secrecy. Let my sheep go. Come, good boy, the next way home. Shepherd's son, go you the next way with your findings. I'll go see if the bear be gone from the gentleman and how much he hath eaten. They are never dangerous, but when they are hungry, if there be any of him left, I'll bury it. Shepherd, that's a good deed. If thou mayest discern by that which is left of him what he is, fetch me to the sight of him. Shepherd's son, marry will I, and you shall help to put him in the ground. Shepherd, tis a lucky day, boy, and we'll do good deeds on it. They exit. Thou met'st with things dying, I with things newborn. When my students found these words on their final exam, they were expected not only to identify the play they came from and the circumstances in which they're spoken, but to use them to talk, not just about the winter's tale, but also about the genre of romance contrasted with tragedy, and indeed the shape of the entire semester, as fully realized romantic comedies gave way to the mature tragedies, which then in turn gave way to the romances. If they wished, they could then go on to talk about life's shape, beginning in life but not ending in death, but rather in greater wisdom and understanding deeper than death. At this place in the winter's tale, we haven't yet come fully to that wisdom and understanding which only comes in the final scene with faith and repentance and forgiveness. Perhaps I'll do that scene in a future episode. But for now, we have the turn toward the possibility of these things, from death toward new life. Oh, about the bear. In a modern production, the bear will probably be an actor in a costume, as few, if any, productions have either the means or the space, much less the insurance, to bring a live bear onto the stage every night. But Shakespeare's theater would have had a bear on hand. Shakespeare's world, though human and thus essentially no different than our world, was a different world, in some ways a rougher world. At the same theater where you could see a Shakespeare play, you could also attend a bear baiting, an entertainment in which a bear is chained to a stake and then dogs are set upon it. When the Puritans took over England and closed the theaters, that put a stop to both entertainments, bear baiting and Shakespeare. Fortunately, Shakespeare has been restored, but not, so far at least, bear baiting. Until next time, 
I'm Dr. J.